0: So hi Mark, what was your first computer? ZX81. Oh, no kidding. From so, Sinclair. The the same the same um as, as my. Was it with the rubber buttons or you know you had already the next version with the plastic ones?
1: No, it was the rubber button and a 16k memory that would jump all the time and reboot the computer.
0: Okay. And uh what you did with that? Playing games or you just started hacking? Played games and then
1: I got a book on the Z eighty programming for the chip. Okay. And um Took a detour into um, yeah, machine uh, machine language, machine assembly language. Cool. You know, when I was fourteen, and learned to
0: program that way. Why you did it? So you were bored with the games, or ah,
1: uh, yeah, I, you know, I was always a nerd, always a geek, so I wanted to um, you know learn how to program, and the Z80 was a nice chip, and that's what we had at the time, and uh, that's yeah, was just the thing to do, and. You know, in the eighties, I think, like early eighties, I'm talking about,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah, still. I mean, with fourteen, you 80, know, eighty-one with fourteen, just starting hacking is not not that usual, I would say.
1: Well, you know, uh, yeah, eighty-two actually, eighty-two, and uh, had a computer and wanted to program.
0: Yeah, cool. So, what you wrote then? What was your first program? I wrote a, a game called uh, Death Mission. Death Mission, of course. And we had, inc-
1: yeah, Death Mission, and. uh It was a game that basically uh, you had to, you know, it was one of those adventure games Um, and uh, we had graphics and we'd sneak out at night from my parents' place because, you know, I was young and I wasn't supposed to go out. So I'd go out at 11 at night and uh, have my little brother open the door for me at 6 a.m. My parents never suspected anything, but basically I was, leaving the house not to go to clubs and party but to go to my friend's house and and program
0: okay and and, and was uh, the game actually actually nice game or i mean you know was it playable
1: well, it was of course a piece of shit. no no it was a piece of shit. okay but we learned a lot and yeah um, and uh, and that was fun to do okay how, how much did I you learn barely, barely, you know quite a bit because you learned programming we were learning uh um, you know, logical tables. We learned how to encode all the game state in very little memory because he had sixteen kilobytes plus graphics. Okay. So I remember it vividly as being first, you know, programming high of figuring shit out and okay and just getting that done, and uh, that was good. That was fun.
0: Okay. And you learned back then already. You knew about peak and pokes.
1: Yeah, pick and pokes, and storing in memory, and basic logical operations, and how to address the graphics memory and you know how to do the graphics and how to program the logic of the game i want to say we went like 30 percent 40 percent most of the game logic was written but you know we didn't ever develop the graphics we were kids and eventually we got tired of the project and uh
0: but, but it's incredible
1: and I abandoned was, it. it was 15 i was 15 years old yeah that was like uh, 35 years ago wow 37 years now yeah
0: and then you stopped yeah. so the, the, the game was not successful then you forgot about computers or what
1: so then I didn't uh, finish the game, and I was you know 17 by then and in school, and I would play with the Apple II, which was a great computer, if you remember that one. And, uh, and I only rediscovered computers in, uh, in university. Uh, I was doing a doctorate in physics at the French Polytechnique, Vehicle Normal, and then went to MIT, and at MIT, I was programming on VAX systems in, in C, okay. uh, simulating uh, lasers and so Learned a lot about pointer memory and programming that way. Always within the context of physics uh, simulations and, and, you know, it was C program. And that was actually really boring, but learned a lot. Okay. And uh, Java actually appeared on the scene right around that time. It was 94, 95. Okay. And I remember being on the campus at, at uh, MIT. I was at MIT at the time and uh, hearing the World Wide Web guys because Tim Berners-Lee was the guy from CERN who uh, invented the, the web, if you remember. Tim Berners-Lee was a yeah. associate professor there in the department of RLWE. Uh, and I didn't know who they were. You know, there were just these guys in the, in the computer room, in the deck room, where we would go and check our email. Mm-hmm. But I remember the energy they had. And uh, I mean, they were so excited about what was going on. It sounded more interesting than so, knew, so you knew Tim in person? Met him in person, yeah, but I didn't know him. No. Okay, okay. I mean, I saw him, but uh, okay. yeah, crossed him at MIT, but never, never engaged him, really. Um, but the whole HTTP 1.0 team, you know, a lot of the folks were there. Um, and, uh, and Java appeared, and Java was going to be the, the internet language, and we are going to program the internet in Java, and, and you know, it sounded very interesting to me. I was also finishing my PhD and you know, I didn't want to be the uh the McKinsey consultant, you know. Okay. I, no, I I wasn't gonna go into academia. I'm now into academia, but back then I wanted to go into industry and yeah. computers, you know, sounded sounded good and that's the first time I encountered Java. Uh,
0: hey, cool. Uh, in ninety five at MIT. What topic you uh, uh you started actually in physics, so what you were interested in with physics.
1: Um I did my undergrad in mathematics. Oh my master in mathematical physics and um and my PhD in theoretical physics, uh, even though it was applied, okay. Um, from M- MIT, it was on lasers, and my thesis was on solving Maxwell's equation in an esoteric geometry go- called the axiconic geometry. Um, it was a world first in the math, and and we use high power lasers. And mm-hmm. so, that was my PhD, basically theoretical physics. Um, string theory, etc. Uh, I abandoned that for JBoss boss and all my career, but now I'm back uh, in physics, actually, publish and conduct research in physics uh, on entanglement. Uh, actually work with Germans from Munich, Q-Tools on the entangled source and, and blah, blah, blah. We can talk about that if you want, but that's another detour. But basically, I, I got a doctorate, left academia, you know, did JBoss, and now I'm Back in academia, in, in several topics actually, uh, finance, uh, physics, experimental physics, and some mathematical physics.
0: Crazy. So the question is, uh, if you knew with 14 about programming, why you didn't start software engineering and you went into physics and mathematics? So why that?
1: You know, I think in software engineering is one of those things that is a bit of a waste to study. I mean, at least in the 90s when I was when I was you know growing up. I don't know about now. So. Don't take, you know, my opinion for 2020, but back then, you know, you would learn. I'm kind of glad I didn't learn uh, sort of academic algorithms and and optimization of algorithms in, in the university setting, because back then you could really pick up a programming job or knowledge. Uh, in the in the job on the spot it was mm-hmm. experiential it was not theoretical mm-hmm. so for me it was never really a question i always loved physics and math i was very good at it um, still am at least the math is harder but now i conduct experiments uh, and i enjoy that very much the big part of my life um, and so i always had a passion for natural philosophy physics i discovered entanglement you know 30 years ago and i'm still working on the topic um and uh, so there was never any doubt. Computers were fun, but to me, they were not science. They okay. were like a job or an applied thing. And so I'm kind of glad I didn't study because you know, you, I picked up the libraries uh, while I was working at Sun, You know James Gosling and company that came out with Java. I was working with SAP, uh, the German uh, ERP company. Mm-hmm. I was doing research for them for Sun and applying the libraries and JBs and all that stuff you remember from the yep. J2EE days. Um, you know, that you had to learn on the spot. So, you know, I don't regret not studying it academically and also think uh, computer programming is more of, a, of an occupation, a hobby or, or a passion, uh, professional, even though there are some, you know, uh, people who do, it, uh, who, who do it without any study or people who study it. Um, I did publish academically. We ended up pioneering a lot of the modern architectures of the system with aspect-oriented programming yep. and server architecture. And, and so we published in, in, in academic settings. I collaborated with several professors on, on, on papers around JBoss because the architecture, which was really given to us by a Swedish guy called Ricard Oberg, exactly. um, was, was, a, was a very interesting, uh, you know, way to uh, organize the systems to make them modular, to make them easily maintainable to make them th- so that they could evolve and that they could be programmed so now uh, rather easily.
0: But how, I, I mean, if, if you were already happy with physics, right, and math, so why you started with Java at all? I, I, I suspect Java was really primitive. So if you, if, you, if you already have the knowledge about C, you know, why to learn Java. So what was your path to Java?
1: Right. So, you know, the path was, look, I'm, a, I'm this PhD in fancy universities. You know, my PhD was good. Uh, But I wasn't going to be a professor. I knew I wanted to be in in industry and, you know, make a living. I always wanted to build a company. I was a natural born entrepreneur, so to speak. And uh, and so when I was wrapping up my PhD, you know, what do I do now? And as a physics, as a doctor in theoretical physics, you can do anything. You know, you're a stem cell of science. You can mutate to any technology you want. So I don't mean to brag, but, you know, after doing differential equations and, and working with lasers in MIT labs, learning Internet protocols and standard writing for Java was not very hard. You yeah. know, I don't mean to knock it down, but it was a step down in terms of intellectual effort. Yeah. So it, it, it was easy for me. I mean, it was easy. It took me three years, four years to pick it up. But so the, the way I got to it was the reverse causality. I started with, you know, where can I get a job? Mm -hmm. Who's going to hire me as a Ph.D.? And Mm -hmm. in fact, nobody would hire me. Mm -hmm. The only ones that hired me were Sun Microsystems in France as a support engineer. And so I kind of fell into it by mistake. You know, oh, well, here's this company that's giving me a job. And I knew Java and I knew, you know, if I've had Sun, I want to be close to Java. And Mm -hmm. so within Sun, I became a Java evangelist. I got in contact with the J2EE early team before EJB 1.0, Vlada Martina and all these guys. Mm-hmm. and i wanted to work with them and you know but because i had not studied computer programming in university but i'd studied physics they said you can't join us this is an elite oh. you know programming group and and so that's when i decided ah fuck it i'm going to do it in open source okay and, and that was the birth of jboss actually
0: what uh what i what i read about you is that you actually wanted to you applied at uh, weblogic or ba back then and they rejected you then you wrote the blue paper or whatever right is it true and then you got the idea with Jabos. This,
1: this is true. This is true. Um, and the, the, the paper was much later. Okay. Um, and, it, and in fact, the, the correct history is that so I'm in, I'm in San must I'm 28 years old. I'm yeah. a French minted doctor. I'm ambitious. I'm yeah. having fun at San Uh Eventually, I end up in San Silicon Valley in, in the SAP Competency Center. I spent some time in the SAP. Uh research center under Ingo Platt or whatever his name yeah. was. Yeah. Uh, uh, Plattner, I think, right? A bunch of Chi- Mr. Plattner. Plattner, yeah, but I, in- Ingo Plattner is his name? So I, I have bad memory. Your yeah, first yeah. name,
0: I have no idea, but Plattner is the uh, La- Hasso or Lasso or something like, like this unusual first I name. I think
1: it's Ingo Plattner, yeah. Either yeah. way, yeah. the guy, who, he, he took a sabbatical in Silicon Valley and was directing research. Oh, and okay. We were trying to apply web logic to SAP as how do we bring SAP to, okay. to the web. And nothing worked because, you know, we're talking 97, 98. Yeah. But <laughs> I discovered enough. I, I met Vlada Martina, the guys who were writing EJB mm-hmm. uh, specs. And, you know, it was interesting. And, and I knew that the standard was going to take off. So I, I actually submitted a resume to the Sun teams ah. uh, to join the EJB standard group. And they were like, Mark, we like you, but you have no track record in, 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 in software, so we can't take you. And I applied to WebLogic, and, you know, I, I did several interviews with WebLogic, and eventually WebLogic said, you know, no, you're not a programmer. You didn't study in university. You're just this really smart guy. And I remember vividly I was, uh, I was at this red light in Silicon Valley, um, mm-hmm. And uh, and I was getting on the highway and I was stopping. And as I stopped, I sat there for a bit and I was pissed off, disappointed and upset. and I said, F- them all. I'm just going to do this in open source and just push my ball in open source and see where it goes. Yeah. And and so that was the indeed the, the birth. Um, but the first name of JBoss
0: yeah. was uh, like uh, Game Over or something, right? Was it not like uh, EJB game over or something then ejb boss and then you had to change the name
1: it was ejb oss oh, okay. open okay. source software ejb right so okay. it was ej boss okay. and I, and it was terrible marketing because yeah. uh, it's a terrible name yeah uh but so well, that was our name for a while or so and then the the son lawyer sent us a you know season deceased layer letter saying you're using a um, you're using a, uh, a a copyrighted uh uh a name you can't do that you know use something else and I, I i found the other day the page where i was scribbling all the ideas and i have eboss oh, okay. uh you know ej ejos yeah uh uh eboss jboss mm-hmm. and uh, i think i flipped a coin no somebody pointed out that eboss meant uh, uh, shit in okay. some language <laughs> in some maybe Finnish or something. I don't know. All I remember was like, yeah, don't use that because the Finns will think it's, it's shit. Okay. And, uh, and, uh, yeah. And so that's where the name came from.
0: And, and you were so excited about EJBs back then? I mean, because back then it was really primitive, right? So, I mean, there was nothing behind. It was a little bit of AOP. But, right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there wasn't really, actually, there wasn't really any AOP. AOP was the thing we wrote Yeah, but, you know, Uh, AOP and EJB,
0: the uh, the AOP and EJB were invented at the same time. So what EJB had, the idea of security and transactions was like built in AOP without mentioning that it's AOP, right? Because you could just, in XML, say… This is correct. Yeah.
1: This is correct. Yes, yes. In fact, the, the, you know, so aspect-oriented programming, Gregor Kixalis and all these cats, I know them personally as well. You know uh, that was actually ten years before EJB, but I, I want to okay. say this meta programming approach, aspect oriented approach mm-hmm. uh, to programming was is certainly something that influenced mm-hmm. the EJB spec. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we all we did in EJB three when I helped uh, write the standards with the uh, name escapes me right now. The nice woman too, but um, you know all we did was bring it back to uh, Java, plain Java programming, but the whole aspect-oriented programming architecture, AOP, was really the underlying philosophy. Uh, and JBoss was sort of an implementation of these architectural ideas and the yeah. standards, then eventually, you know, embraced all of it. And AOP is the standard today in server-side design, mm-hmm. uh, and also something you find in nature, for example. Yeah. Uh, you don't have inheritance, it's not all inheritance. Uh, through Mendelian inheritance, meaning father-son inheritance, sometimes you have lateral viruses mm-hmm. uh, that program mm-hmm. um, a system laterally without uh, sexual inheritance, mm-hmm. right? That so that that pattern of modular system assembly, uh, a, which we called AOP in academia, uh, 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 is certainly was certainly predating EJB by, I want to say, six or seven years with Mm -hmm. Kixalis. And and EJB was the embodiment, one embodiment of that. Yeah. Not not a a semi-modular one, so to speak. But
0: but was it actually called AOP? Because what I did, my research... the AOP term. No, it wasn't. Yeah, because yeah. the AOP and EJB were like one year off. Like AOP and EJB was roughly at the same time what I, what I did my research. The, all the papers from AOP and EJBs was roughly the same, 1997 or something like this, or 1996.
1: Yeah, I want to say that uh, ninety six for AOP that you started finding, mm-hmm. uh, EJB was actually, yeah, 96, 97. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think AOP as a, as a marketing term is, yeah. is is about that time. Yeah, exactly. Me- meta programming. I think it was called meta programming yeah. before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but AOP was a great marketing uh, uh, term. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to answer your question, the reason I went with, with the standards as opposed to, to something else is is not so much the technology, because in fact, EGB one was a piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh and nothing worked. Uh, it worked by number two, version two and number th- version three was great. Um, but the reason was that it was obvious to me at the time that the standard efforts that Sun was pushing was what the industry needed. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody was talking about, uh, you know, uh, uh, their own standards. And I think having, uh, the Sun standard kind of allowed for the, uh, Internet to appear mm-hmm. as fast as it did mm-hmm. because otherwise it would have been, you know, too many splintered protocols. Everybody was, you know, pushing their own servers. You know, before WebLogic, you had, uh, uh, can't remember, Dynamics or Software Dynamics, things like that, that were all proprietary standards. Yeah, there was Net Dynamics, so was Persistence
0: Power Tier, and Gemstone, That's and right. Titestone. This was a, yeah. And, and for me, as actually, this J two E makes sense because for me as consultants, there was no way that I could actually learn about you know twenty servers, so it was impossible to learn. And with the standard, for That's me, right. this was like you know silver lining on the horizon. Okay, okay, then at least I'll have something to learn, and I know about that, and I keep doing this. And this is why I was excited about uh, JBoss EJBs and J two E back then, right? Right, right,
1: right.
0: Yeah. Hey, cool. So um, there was another guy, I probably was Rick. I remember that uh, um, in the Jabo's papers, uh, it was always mentioned the alien guy who did the architecture. Who was it?
1: So Richard Orberg was this Swedish kid yeah. um, that studied in uh, University of Uppsala, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there were three kids and this genius professor. And the genius professor would teach them. And Richard was well known on the groups uh, and a little crazy and he comes to Silicon Valley and, <laughs> you know, I knew everybody was trying to recruit him and he says, Mark, I, I will never come to Silicon Valley. I go, I don't care. You can stay in, in Uppsala in Sweden where you live. I'll pay you. You know, it's fine. And, mm-hmm. uh, and he says, you know, I'm an alien. Ah. I go, what do you mean? he goes, I'm an alien. I'm a military alien. And I'm on Earth to help Earth. And, you know, I'm French. So I'm a scientist. And I find it funny. But I'm also Silicon Valley. And I like the folklore. So you know, I believe and I don't believe. I just listen. But basically, he said, look, Earth is under a psychic attack. Uh, The psychology of Earth is unfinished. And the only way it's going to finish, according to the aliens, is if we develop an open source Internet. We can't have the splintered protocols. We can have a tower of Babel, of protocols. We need one protocol to create the infrastructure of the Internet, and that's how you will survive. And look at the Internet now. You know, it's all open source, and our psychology is evolving extremely rapidly. So if you believe my story, wink, wink, uh, the aliens made us do it. And I remember reading the first quote from Rickard, and it was very pretty. It was very pure. It was very simple, very visual. And I said, how do you do it? And he said, I sit at my computer and he was like a Jewish kippah. He said, the aliens beam images in the back of my head and I just see the images and I translate them. Uh-huh. And I don't think, I don't think about it. I just let the visions come. And so now with the time and the wisdom, I believe it was actual angels, aliens, ghosts, mother earth, whatever you want to call it. But the internet mm-hmm. is definitely, you know, uh, uh, something from for the planet from the planet. That uh, is Earth Tech, okay. as as I call it in the church space. And the Earth Tech was open source, and open source gave us this internet. And and now, with retrospect, it makes a lot of sense. Look at what's going on with COVID. We're all at home. We're doing these, you know, uh, Zoom interviews, yeah. and, and you know, it's great. It's fantastic. I see what he said back then. It's true today, and I'm very glad, you know, that that uh, aliens helped.
0: W- what and what what Rick is doing right now? Is it still around?
1: You know, it's funny. I I, uh, I looked him up. Like uh, I looked him up because we had a, a bad fallout. It was a very. I was a very proud man, and he was a very proud young okay. man. And, and eventually, uh, he really tried to 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 f- us. And and it was a fun story. That yeah, it's just a good bad memory, if you will. But okay. um, right now, I don't know. Last I checked, I checked like last week. Actually, okay. I thought of him in ten years, and I checked last week. Oh, I wonder what he's doing. And he's in Kuala Lumpur. Uh, he gave an interview four years ago on some software he was doing. And that's all I know about him. Um,
0: but Yeah. Cool story. Uh, regarding uh, military, what I also read from about you is that you are a special forces guy. Is it true?
1: Yes. I, uh, I, I, went, I entered the Ecole Polytechnique, which is a military school, okay. uh,
0: math school, mm-hmm. uh, but depends
1: on the Ministry of Defense ever since Napoleon because Napoleon uh, uh, authorized the formation of elite math schools for the military to protect the democracy. Okay. And so it's a French institution, it's a French tradition, and if you go there, uh, uh, it's fantastic because you are paid as a lieutenant of the, of the army. I volunteered uh, within that to go to the paratroopers, and I was a lieutenant in the paratroopers. Jumped out of planes and.
0: But was yeah. a really hard training, or you know, just uh, fun to the mass? Or was it really, really special forces? You know, physical training, or more or less like you know, just. It was
1: extremely. It was extremely physical. Okay. Number one, but I was very in shape back then. You're still um, in shape. You look great. Thank you. Yeah. You too. Uh, uh, you know, we we make efforts. Um, <laughs> yeah. What was hard was the psychology of it, but it was the first time. That I encountered a different operating system. Now I was part of elite uh, military troops. My sergeant was called uh, Sergeant Andlauer, and okay. he had a uh, he had a Third Reich tattoo oh. uh, of an eagle on his chest. Okay, you know, and it was the first time as a protected French math nerd, you know, polytechnique little kid who does math and thinks that's it. That, oh, my God, there's another world. There's another way of thinking. There's And so it was the first time I encountered a different psychology. And that was very hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the real lesson. You know, I encountered kids that couldn't really write. Because when you're in the paratroopers, you don't see just doctors. You know, yep. you see kids who can not barely talk, yep. barely write. You know, that was a shock for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, real military professional people who hated my guts because there I was this little Parisian math guy. Mm-hmm. You know, they just wanted to beat me up. And uh, that was hard. That was great training, and that was very hard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the psychology of it.
0: It's interesting because I had a complete different opinion from you. I thought, you know, you are the special forces guy, applies to web logic. They say no. And then I say, okay, now I'm angry and I'll implement, you know, JBoss. This was uh, my. So I, I didn't knew at all about your physics background or whatever. So I was really curious about the interview today. Um, so. With the J-Boss, so you wanted to have commercial success or was it more like, you know, you were just angry and you wanted, you know, to create something by your own and show how good it can be? Something like this and the commercial success came later or you you wanted to be commercially successful from day one?
1: Uh, I was not angry, Uh, even though I reacted to the rejection. You know, I always have the attitude that rejection or obstacles are really there to point you in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the right direction for me was not to be an employee or son or WebLogic, even though I would have done that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so in the negative experience came a very positive, which is I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, actually. So to answer your question, my first goal was to make money, uh, Mm -hmm. to survive, to live, to make a living in Silicon Valley. I was married. And the first time I told my wife I was going to do open source software, she called me stupid. Mm -hmm. Um, My ex-wife now, you know, because who gives away the work for free? But I always wanted to make a living. Mm -hmm. I wasn't solely motivated by the money, far from it. Uh, I, uh, I respect and like money. Money, I think, is an important psychic construct that mm-hmm. people don't understand, even mm-hmm. those who like money. Um, and so I always had a, I want to call it a healthy relationship with money. I was difficult in, in open source, and Java was great for that because most of the open source cats had an attitude you know, that was, it has to be free. Mm-hmm. Uh, free as in beer, like for zero costs so and mm-hmm. no charging money and money was dirty, etc. And I never had that. I always wanted j to be successful. And so, you know, I was making $3 million in training before we even went for VC money, mm-hmm. uh, in 2003. And those were the best years of j where I was living in my living room. We were doing work from home back in 2001 and it was paradise. Mm-hmm. We would travel and meet each other in JBoss conferences, and there was 40, 50 of us, and we'd party our asses off. And the rest of the time, we were at home with our kids and, and making a great living. We were making millions of dollars. It was paradise. It mm-hmm. was great. And, you know, and now I see the same happening on a mass scale. You know, back then, it was a unique luxury to do work from home and just travel when we wanted. Today, it's probably going to be the norm for the masses or at least the professional You know that can do work from home typically every single programmer i know Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know so so yeah yeah
0: so it was uh yeah great time great memories actually back then
1: Mm -hmm. yeah it was it was a sweet time and I'm not, I, I forgot the question, which is why I stopped talking, because I can go and rant without a question. Oh No, the but, question was, uh, you answered the question. Uh,
0: My question was whether you planned, you know, to be commercially successful from the beginning? or more I was about- always ambitious. Okay.
1: Yeah, I was always ambitious and wanted the company to succeed. And, and this was something that set me apart with the open source crowd. And so on the one hand, you know, I had the business guys of Java going like, why are you destroying the guys at IBM said, and son would tell me, why are you destroying a billion-dollar industry? Mm-hmm. The fuck is wrong with you? Mm-hmm. We're making money here. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, I had, you know, some of, the, what I, some of the fascists of open source that were saying, you make money. This is bad. Yeah. And ironically, it was on the fringe. It, it wasn't the core groups. You know, it was like guys like at Apple. We met Apple, and I remember this VP, you know, telling me, I fucking wanted to slap him. He says, uh, "Oh, hey, I hear you charge or, uh, you charge for your documentation." That's not very open source, you know. Meanwhile, the the guy had the keys to his Porsche on his on the table, you know. Yeah. And I'm thinking, yeah. "Shut up!" What the, f-? you know? <laughs> so I always wanted to make a living. I wanted my friends to make a living, and we did invent one of the first commercially viable business models for open source. Yeah. If you if you remember, mm-hmm. ironically, ironically, it was called. Uh, a professional open source uh, which spells p-o-s which also means piece of shit uh but professional open source was one of the first models on how to make a living Mm -hmm. and yes to answer your question whether i was always ambitious i was i always wanted to make it yeah for sure
0: but it's like a genius because uh starting with open source to make money was not obvious it wouldn't be obvious to me at the beginning i had to say
1: it wasn't obvious to anyone it wasn't even obvious to me OK, uh, you know, the, the the first way I, I, I uh, and, and to answer, to, to touch upon genius, genius is usually experiential and theoretical. So whether it's not obvious intellectually is one thing, but what I did was actually did it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we thought we were going to basically invent the cloud. And that's how we would monetize the open source layer. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting in a in a VC uh, meeting uh, at a, at a fan, uh, the very famous VC in Silicon Valley, and they look at my business model, which was basically the cloud. It was AWS mm-hmm. in '97, which mm-hmm. was ten years too early. Mm-hmm. And they go, "This is not a bad business model. It's a horrible business model." Mm-hmm. And I remember being very insulted. Like, no, no, I know this is going to work. But this was my head. Yeah. Now, real genius came when actually it was the others, it was the customers, and it was Richard Oberg, and it was everybody around. And the customers would tell us, oh, hey, we like this. Can you train us? And yeah, we could easily develop training. And Richard had developed something that didn't suck, and Scott Stark had made it a product that we could distribute. And so, you know, the ideas is one thing, and then how do you bring it to the market While listening to the customers who wanted to pay for support, who wanted to pay for documentation, who wanted to pay for training, you know, that's where the real genius comes. And in the military, there's a a mantra, uh, walk the path uh, Mm -hmm. and trust the one in front, trust the one in the back and know where you're going. And Mm -hmm. so you enchant long, you have, where do you want to go? And that's the mental part. But the real genius is in the execution that couples you know, what do people want? And so it wasn't obvious, and a lot of people participated. A lot of people like you, actually, um, a lot of consultants, you know, would tell us what they needed to deploy it, and, and we would listen. And, uh, and so, you know, it wasn't just us. Um, it wasn't just us, and, uh, and, and that's where the real genius came, when it was just not just in my head, even though I was a big part of it and father of it. But when other people go like, oh, yeah, I believe that. And guys like Sacha Lapre that ran JBoss in Europe and then ran it at Red Hat, who wrote the clustering for JBoss from Switzerland. I remembered yesterday how we came to our London training during the 9-11 attacks. And he was this very, very motivated consultant. And so the, the, it was genius. Including aliens. Aliens are always involved in genius. <laughs> they're, the, they're the spur. You laugh, but it's true. Ever since the angels. You know, it's like, who's giving us this inspiration? Is it something that every, every planet discovers? And the answer is probably yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but that genius is both experiential, theoretical, community-based, financial. There's a part of almost art to it, software art, and, and how we went about it. We were lucky. Um, but it was a lot of open source community building, marketing that way. And, and, and that indeed was, was the genius of it. Okay. Um, so probably yeah. it wasn't
0: digi- uh, genius. It was disruptive and it was courageous.
1: It was courageous. Um, you know, when people ask me, what's the main quality you recommend from an entrep- for an entrepreneur? It's probably courage, you know, and persistence. Don't be afraid. And in fact, if you don't realize the danger, like mm-hmm. a military, it's even better. You know, you're not afraid. Uh, yeah. It's very important. Most people are afraid and don't want to do that.
0: How many so people actually afraid. developed uh, j at the beginning? How many were you, the Rick, and who who It are? was
1: Rickard, Rickard and myself at the beginning. Then okay. guys like Joa from Finland, uh, uh, many others. You know, uh, we were about 10 within a year, but a small group at first. Yeah. yeah. And actually paid. I was paying myself. I was paying Rickard. He was working from home from Switzerland back in 2000. Uh, a small group of 10, and, you know, people think in open source, you have a thousand people helping you, but it's not the way it works. Uh, uh, so it was a small group,
0: yeah. Yeah, this is what I always tell, you know, I'm a consultant, I go off to enterprise companies and I tell them, you know, JBoss was developed by a tiny amount of, 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 of developers. Hibernate, even worse, you know, Gavin King started Hibernate, it was one guy and then the, the others came. So there's actually no, no example in the history where a huge team develops something sensible, right? Whatever happens, was always small. Focus this is teams. an
1: interesting point. This is an interesting point. I, I, I do think, you know, there is a part, uh, it is true that it's rarely a large committee that develops excellent software. Yeah. Uh, and what you end up, but it is not true that great software is solely developed by individuals specifically today. No. Let me expand a little bit on that. It's always a pyramid structure.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, you have an elite uh, and a tight-controlled group uh, that, can, uh, that can, yes, that can develop the software. Uh, you are correct, by the way. Uh, and, and, and others are helping in yeah. more menial tasks yeah. like translation. You know, I benefited a lot from a lot of people around the world translating our documentation. Most importantly, debugging feature requests, consultants developing and saying, we need this, we need that. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes a lot of people to make it truly fantastic in reality. Yeah. But I agree that there is. So you need both. You need a small, it's really pyramidal. Yeah. You need a, a small illuminated elite guiding it. Uh, I think that's definitely the case of Linux, uh, also the case of Apache, uh, and definitely the case of JBoss, most certainly the case of Hibernate. You know, you always need a core dedicated team. But on top of that, you know, Linux now is thousands of developers. Uh, you know, JBoss was out thousand of developers as well. Apache went even more community based. Yeah. You know, so I think it's both. Yeah.
0: yeah. But in enterprise, my observation is, you know, they're great projects, smart with core team. And then managers observe what happened and say, oh, cool. They are very productive. So if we now increase the the, uh, amount of people working on this core team, everything is going to be double as fast. And what happens then is the people which came in uh, afterwards, they are not as motivated as the core team, you know, and then everything goes south. So then everything just disappears. And this project, which keep being successful, they have the ability that the core team is somehow motivated and isolated from the... From from the outer parts of the software development, you know, like the management and, and marketing and and all the other stuff. Right. This was my observation in larger projects. And by the way, one of my first JBoss project was yeah, this is true. for for power plants. Was this JBoss? I think two or three was the same. With three developers, we created software. We we were better than any other company. And then managers saw that like, hey, we can sell a lot more stuff. And they you know they tried to find Java developers, and the people they found they were not as motivated as the core team. And then the core team had to provide training to the unmotivated developers. And then after one year, it was just you know huge boring enterprise project without any drive. So there was the fun was gone. You know there was no more excitement. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. So you started with uh, JBoss, then you sold JBoss to. Red Hat, right? Yeah. Why you did it?
1: It'd been seven years. Okay. Um, uh I was, I was uh, you know, I was on top of the world. Uh, JBoss was used by everybody. We were traveling the world, um, and people were really trying to buy us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had an offer that you know I considered uh, a good enough, and uh, and sold the JBoss to Red Hat, which turned out to be. A great place for the for the team uh, to grow and uh, you know has has been a good acquisition all around they made a lot more money than i sold it for uh, within red hat which is good and now as you know it's part of ibm and so the core infrastructure the boring pipes of the internet you know um and the aspect oriented servers is now at IBM. IBM has a huge history of encouraging AOP actually.
0: Yeah, no, uh, Whitefly twenty is the research team. Yeah, twenty whitefly twenty is out and I actually use it even in my trainings and everyone is still excited. So I use Whitefly still in my projects, and I really like it. So what is it called? WhiteFly? White whitefly White is the version, is the open source version oh, of Oh Wildfly
1: J- Yes, yes. Whitefly yes, twenty. I, I that, yeah.
0: Whitefly twenty. Twenty. Yeah. Wildfly twenty. Whitefly twenty came out. Recently, last uh, came out three four weeks ago. Still great. Okay, they merged with Micro. I'll check it out. Yeah, MicroProfile with Matrix, so it's a uh, really cloud ready, small runtime. So uh, it actually worked out. It's just getting better and better, not worse. What I can tell you. WildFly
1: Twenty is a cool project. I'm very glad to hear it, and thank you for letting me know because it's been fifteen years. I'm out.
0: Yeah, Whitefly White is follow, the open source actually... version. So there, JBoss is the commercial. Whitefly uh-huh. is the open source, and Twenty is the uh-huh. version. And every three months... There- Maybe I'll come back
1: as an anonymous developer.
0: <laughs> yeah, this will be cool. So what interests me, as you sold JBoss to Red Hat, what you did the next day? You start, you know, was it boring? I mean, what to do, right?
1: The- uh, I did a, uh, yes, I had a, I had a mental depression.
0: Yeah, uh, this is what, I, what I thought.
1: nervous breakdown. Yeah, a nervous breakdown for a good two years where I play computers. Uh, ah, now it came nothing. out. Okay. Which games Uh, you played? Yeah, I did not. Quake. I played uh, Quakes. It's a samurai game that I remember that was so boring, but kind of fun. Grand Theft Auto, and I just wanked around. Yeah. And uh, I I wanted to go back to academia, so I went to a lab at Georgia Tech, where I live in Atlanta, to study uh, system biology, which was great. Um, And then 2008 hit, because I hit. I sold my company in 2007, 2006, okay. late 2006. And so I went deep into finance, uh, the banking system, what's money, how to invest, uh, options, derivatives, synthetic strategies, blah, 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 how to make money and, and keep the money for, as an investor, mm-hmm. um, and uh, published research there uh, in, in modern monetary theory. Uh, and so to answer you, and also started music, uh, took a deep dive through... Actually, music synthesis, uh, friends in, in the US, Berlin, a lot of techno, uh, so partied a little bit, but mostly took a deep dive into music and music is a very intellectual endeavor as well as an art. Uh, I also work in the academic setting, uh, with a professor of percussion that worked with Karlheinz Stockhausen from Cologne in Germany, electronic music, uh, and he was his PhD student and so it's a very avant-garde electronic music, academic and yet Berlin club kind of dirty vibe. I love it. Uh, I I was working on it right before we started this call. I do it every day. Cool. Um, so I went to do music. I went to do, and I went back to physics, reading uh, theoretical physics, and now I do actually experimental physics on, on entanglement. One question so is about physics:
0: if you if you read a physics paper, can you just read it as I don't know Java book, or you have to re a page several times.
1: It's it's more difficult. It's a it's a good question. And it's a difficult topic. Uh, in fact, it's a long-running topic of mine that it's very hard to reach a certain level of proficiency mm-hmm. uh, in 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 physics, mostly because there's a lot of mathematics that okay. that, that, that can be very difficult to parse, and so you kind of have to have a trance uh, uh, to get into it and be able to read it. Okay. Uh, but it's the same with software, I and mean, with software it's a little bit more complicated. You have to write it, okay. you know, in software. I can't write math. I can write software, uh, you know. I, I can read math, uh, and that's already, you know, post PhD level kind of thing.
0: Okay, so if you read a math, if if you read a formula, math formula, is this as easily as Java code? Or do you have to think differently? I
1: can, yes. Okay. No, I, uh, you, oh, you have to think differently. I mean, it takes a lot. But it's like Java code where you have words. It's linguistics on a certain okay. level. You have to learn the words and to learn the context and how those objects move. Okay. And in math, it's the same. You have to learn concepts. You have to put them in practice. You have to practice a lot with the math before the concepts become natural. Okay. And you lose the ability. You know, it's like software. You have to practice all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still practice mathematics. I read it more than I write it. Okay. I, I write computer simulations with mathematics for quantum in Java uh, and, uh, In Java, yes. Okay, hey, cool. Java. Which Java version? I use no frame, uh, Java eight because I use parallel programming. Okay. Uh, I use uh, parallel simulations, Monte Carlo simulations of quantum. Okay. Of uh, quantum objects. Yeah, that's how we simulate quantum.
0: Okay. And uh, why it doesn't work with Java 11 or higher? Is it like the libraries? You know, it's
1: one of those things where, because I'm doing scientific computer mathematical simulation with CERN ah. math libraries of okay. vessel functions, if it works, pardon my French, I don't give a f- Okay. I don't want to touch it. You know, it's like music. What I encountered when I went to music is people keep around systems from the mid-2000s just because Everything works. The software versions, you know, and when something works, why upgrade it? It just works. I'd rather keep with what works. So to be honest, it, even, even, it never even crossed my mind okay. to go and upgrade the software. If it works and I don't need to upgrade, why would I?
0: Okay. So you know, I'm uh, not a Java programmer. Just homework for you. So if there's nothing else to do, Java 15 is around the corner, and there's a concept called Fibers. 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 And this is like uh-huh. uh, multi, or let's call it reactive programming with request response, and can help you with performance in math. Just, you know, small thing. Interesting. Java 15. Parallel? Yeah.
1: Java 15. Parallel. Java 15 yeah.
0: and Fibers. Okay.
1: Fibers in Java fifteen.
0: Okay. This is your next Java assignment.
1: 15. This is my next assignment. I'll take a look at it. I'll and take a look at Wildfly twenty
0: two. Yeah. Whitefly whitefly.org and twenty. So you can up, you can contribute some code, you know, Java that would be fun. Go to GitHub, just that uh, would be fun. That'd ch- be that- fun. whatever, and it would get rejected. We could do you no know, and the next it, it will
1: get rejected. It will get rejected.
0: No one cares. We could do an internet drama, you know. The original JBoss developer was rejected. This would be, this it would was be, fun. Rejected. yeah. This was, He's write. now a
1: bum in the street and he's rejected. Yeah, like, group. you know, the,
0: <laughs> the red white papers or whatever. We could write the next paper, right? That's right. That'd be, that'd be actually very
1: funny. This I would re- need
0: your your help, yeah, or someone else's help, yeah. Um <laughs> I like it. <laughs> About um, the uh, the uh, what I also wanted to, to ask you is, uh, you started a new company, right? Yes,
1: yes. I started a new company in crypto. Uh, so after doing a lot of uh, physics, magic, music, finance, and, and just living and uh, becoming a philosopher and a mystic and da-da-da, I decided to come back to work and apply what I'd learned, uh, mentor younger kids. You know, you mentioned earlier Gemstone, but one of the persons that was instrumental in JBoss was a guy called Bob Big. And Bob was the boss of Gemstone that okay. had been acquired by HP. And um, I remember I sent him a letter saying, why, why does an HP take our software? And he answered, which was very nice. He was the CEO of the middleware division at HP through the Gemstone acquisition. And he said, uh, stand still. You know, we're shutting down the division. I'll come help you. Um, and so I can apply now just like you did and teach others. And so... Two Prime, we're a crypto product where we focus on institutional grade investment products that are based on crypto, kind of like Bitcoin and Ethereum okay. and staking and DeFi. And uh, It's an application of software, technology, banking theory, magic. You know, the concept of money is evolving rapidly mm-hmm. uh, with QE and everything. So for me, it's a perfect kind of, you know, more than a hobby, less than a job kind of thing, but it's something I do yeah, every day. Uh, but what is the use case uh, and that's going very well the use case is that crypto is actually a pretty decent uh, 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 way to protect your money and invest in a safe way Uh, it's counterintuitive but what works very well in crypto are the store of value functions like gold so you can put your money rich guys like me need places to put money Mm -hmm. Uh, and you can do the stock market you can do debt crypto is yet another asset class and it's an asset class with interesting technical characteristics very high velocity of the markets non-transparency of the markets a capital formation like ico's work very well stable coins have something to say to banking infrastructure central banks are working with stable coins blah 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 and uh, two prime markets our flagship product is ff1 we introduced in march on the day Bitcoin lost half its value, I mean, the day Bitcoin crashed, we launched. So we launched FF1 the worst possible day. Okay. And since then, we started at $3. I think as of this morning, it's at $4.50. So it's gained, you know, 50% of its value. So you're yeah,
0: a Bitcoin and
1: competitor or something like this? So we, we invest in Bitcoin in the back end. Okay. We leverage Bitcoin, but what we do is we smooth out the volatility of Bitcoin. Okay. So it's like investing in Bitcoin, but without the volatility left and right. Okay. We smooth out the curve and we have some gain, whereas Bitcoin has remained rather flat over the, the past four months. But uh, ah. so it's an investment product for people who don't know crypto because, you know, what's the difference between Bitcoin, Ethereum and why Lynx or, 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 or why Tezos and the altcoins and why Doge and you know, and and it's a full-time job to not be scammed, okay, let me put it this way, so so you are doing ro- things right is, yeah.
0: so you're a robo investor in bitcoin, so you have your algorithms which invest in Bitcoin and sell and buy bitcoins to smooth it out, right?
1: So we have the robots in the back. Actually, it's manual right now, but we have an, uh, an allocation strategy to, ho- to hold out. Most importantly, we have a treasury that allows us to market make in a way that the price is smoothed out. Okay. It's very technical, but it's just the way exchanges work. Uh, it's actually a little bit of magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it smooths out. It, it makes a slope. And so mathematically, what we do is we mix bitcoins and stable coins programmatically. And so... If Bitcoin is volatile and, you know, like this volatility yeah. and a stable coin has no volatility, uh, imagine a flat line and a vertical wall. Mm-hmm. We kind of have this diagonal line of a smooth ride, mm-hmm. you know? So we went from $3 to $4.50. We have about hundred thousand to half a million dollar vol- uh, liquidity every day. Um, and now we're, we're growing fast. I mean, it's, uh, it's, yeah. It's uh, a lot of people want to invest in crypto and how you invest safely easily in crypto is not easy. And the backend uh, is offer you Java. A sh- a sh- uh, the backend is uh, is actually we are on the Ethereum blockchain there's okay. a lot of Java there but I think it's not. Uh, and no we do not develop software at all within 2Prime. Two 2Prime Two is a fintech company okay. and the tech is market making. I think the bots some of the bots are right, written in Java, yes and we use bots to provide liquidity and, 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 and trade algorithmically.
0: And are you still as motivated and as, as much fun as before with JBoss? Yes, yes. And it's very different.
1: Uh, you know, when, uh, when I was JBoss, it was only ambition. I wanted to make it work. And I was the CEO and it was all consuming. I had a great time, but it was a lot. Okay. Uh, this time, you know, I'm an investor. I'm, I'm a CEO. I'm every day. But I have a very good guy I work with, my Rickard Orberg. his name Alexander Bloom. Alex was one of the best in, in, in specialists in, in, in uh, securities token and the technology of STOs and the compliance. He was also a licensed broker dealer out of New York, and I invested a lot of money in him, and uh, he failed. But to me, that was his military service. Now you've learned, and you lost my money. Do you want to start again, or are you going to go and cry in the corner? JBoss was the same, by the way. We yeah. failed the first time and started again. And he was like, yeah, I'll start again. And, uh, and uh, we've been, now it's about a year, actually, we're just on one year anniversary. And uh, we said what we wanted to do. He runs the business, he's the COO, and he's a very fast COO. He's like, uh, and so it's a different way of working for me. I'm the grandfather. I can think and do marketing, and it's a, a lot of fun, but it's a very different way of working. Also, the mentoring aspect is, is fun. You know, uh, I'm grooming what I consider is going to be one day a, a genius CEO. Yeah, I enjoy it very much. Yeah, uh, I still Almost hacking more than JBoss even though you're still hacking. some. I am. Code? I, I write. Yes, yes, I am. Uh, I, I do it to keep young uh, and I do it in physics. I write my computer simulations in Java, as we discussed, uh, and I compute. Uh, I modeled entanglement on, on hydrodynamic walkers, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a, a branch we're publishing in. We submitted to physical review letter, PRL, I don't know if you know, but it's, you know, it's like the standard for physics. And, uh, and we're, we're about to publish. We finished that research. That took four or five years and mm-hmm. tens of thousands of lines of code. It took me four years to develop the, the integration engine. I collaborated with Georgia Tech on the core. Runge Kuta integration routine, okay. blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. I use no framework. It's pure Java. Keep it simple, no, no bullshit, and it works, and it works well. Hey, cool. And I, I, I love it. I, I still have, you know, I use IntelliJ, and it's refreshing. I love coding. Okay. You know, people should keep it as a hobby. It's always fun to stretch the brain a little bit with this scientific programming software approach. It is a trance. You know what I mean? I'm sure you know what I mean.
0: Yeah. So uh, if you have five minutes, I can just explain to you about inheritance, what happens to Whitefly, and what happens with the core JBoss team, and they have fun. Would you like to hear it? I would love to hear it, please. So, uh, as you probably know, Whitefly was extremely dynamic. And what Whitefly did back then, or JBoss, sorry. JBoss is Whitefly. JBoss, let's talk about JBoss. You know JBoss. You were able you know, to deploy several apps to JBoss? I don't
1: know anything, by the way. The only thing I knew was that we changed the name to Wildfly.
0: Yeah. I would you know, refer... JBoss and Whitefly is the same thing, but you can buy for... J If you would like to have support, commercial support from IBM or Red Hat, uh, you have to download JBoss, which is exactly the same bits as Whitefly, but a little bit older, right? So the Whitefly is cutting edge and JBoss is like two versions behind, but hardened version of Whitefly, okay? Gotcha, yeah. So,
1: that was the Red Hat model, yes. Yes, that was the yeah, little, exactly. Uh, and they renamed it, I don't know, five, five years yeah. or
0: whatever. And um, so in the yeah. clouds and so forth- what? Yeah, I remember that. And, and microservices, what happened is that uh, actually, if you have JBoss, it does not make a lot of sense to put multiple wars or applications to JBoss. Because in microservice, you have one war, one runtime. So this changed. We have Docker containers, a cloud in a Docker container. In a container, you have one instance of JVM, one instance of Whitefly or JBoss, and one instance of the app running on JBoss. And the problem was people said Java is too slow. It is not reasonable for the clouds. And what the, what the JBoss engineers did with a little optimizations, they say, look, we actually don't need the dynamic behavior. And what they did, they created a new framework, which actually uses all the JBoss libraries from back then, not all the JBoss libraries, but it's based on the JBoss and Whitefly system. And what they do, they optimize upfront everything. So they read the deployment descriptors and they, uh, they read the XML. And generate bytecode. At at the runtime, it's a completely simple system. It's like Java minus jar. You can launch it as a jar. This is one jar, and it starts. There is no reflection. So actually, opposite what Rick did back then, or not the opposite? What
1: Rick did? Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about that yesterday.
0: Because uh, what what you did what you did back then, you had like EJB. I remember like 15 dynamic proxies. You know, with the AOP.
1: No, but so it's funny. I was reading that literally two days ago. So yeah, I like kick in, the coincidence. Hey, aliens, aliens kick no, aliens. in. Kick in.
0: Probably. Aliens,
1: no, aliens, you laugh about angels. But I was focusing on the fact that what the dynamic proxies did was change a, uh, a, a structure signature, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, 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 the compilation hard signature as opposed to uh, uh, type safe, you know, to change a type Java class into a generic invocation. Yes. And the signature was invoke. Yeah. And we had invoke in the payload. And invoke in magical uh, angelic theories, you invoke the angels. Okay. And it's funny when I think that most of the internet is invoking angels all day long <laughs> on Linux diamonds. Okay. On Linux, Unix diamonds. Okay. Let that sink in for a little bit. Okay. As far as no- Enochian magic goes, you know, dark magic, black magic, right there. Yeah. So JBoss involved, but that was the genius. And the genius of Rickard was being able to have a deployer that could do this dynamically. So you say they've removed the dynamic proxies.
0: Yes. Go on. Uh, But uh, not remove. I mean, it happens at build time. So at build time, they already know that we need transaction security, matrix, or whatever. And they add everything as bytecode without the dynamic behavior. Because uh, in the cloud, we don't need to reconfigure the JBoss at the fly. We just kill it and start a new one. But the cool story is, what happened right now is, the project is called Quarkus. All the guys you know, Emmanuel, Benal and so forth, they're working, Jason Green, they're working on Quarkus. And the Quarkus... Spell that for me, Quarkus. Q-U-R... I'll send you in a chat in a second. Quarkus. Quarkus well, I, spell it so people know. Q-U... You- everyone knows about that, no, just you don't know about it, you know? <laughs> Okay. Oh the whole world knows about that, so we <laughs> that do a little bit so a little bit education for, for the JBoss guy. So this is Q U A R K U S Quarkus. Quarkus. Quarkus.
1: Quarkus. Like yeah. Quarks.
0: Quarks. Like Quarkus. exactly. Okay. Supersonic Quarkus. subatomic Java. And what happened wow, right now? Super... Yeah, this is this is exactly. And what happened right now? It is the fastest moving f- framework in Java world right now. It is, uh, it is Red Hat and IBM. This is the same company, as you probably know. And this, it was revealed around one year ago. And the cool story is a small Quarkus application is smaller than empty Tomcat or Jetty. So they are incredibly small. Wow, okay. And now it comes. Yeah. I, I tell you this, you will uh, immediately shut down your company you know, and, and contribute to Quarkus, if I tell you this. Oracle.
1: <laughs> Oracle. You know what you're going to do? You're gonna send me like a bug report and the correction, and I'm gonna submit it as Mark Flurry, or you submit it as Mark Flurry, and I, you have my, my okay, okay? <laughs> okay. I'm gonna trust you with it, and let's have some
0: fun with it. Yeah.
1: Don't tell them for a little
0: while. Yeah, okay. The, 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 we have to keep you know the podcast and oh, it to me.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And no, now on, let's yeah. listen. The last thing is the uh, uh, you know the Open JDK. You have a JDK whatever, and there is another JDK called GraalVM. Graal. And this Graal VM... Graal VM. Yes. The Graal, Graal VM comes from Oracle, but it's completely open source. Okay. And the Graal okay. VM, you can cross-compile Java bytecode into native code. So they are able to, to take a Java application and create a single binary, which contains JVM and the Java application. This is roughly 20 megs big. Okay?
1: 20 megs. That's nothing. Nothing.
0: And it starts in 10
1: milliseconds. Nothing.
0: It is as it is. Ten milliseconds. It's like C, like C code, you know. And now, (laughs) and now the cool. But the but the GraalVM is really hard to uh, let's say to instrument because reflection doesn't work. So you have you know to tell this. These are my dependencies. These classes are loaded. So it's a painful experience, I would say. And what Quarkus guys did is they know everything at build time. They pass all the dependencies to GraalVM, and now you are able to have you know Quarkus or JBoss. As a single dependency, which is 20, 30 megs pick, starts in 10 milliseconds and consumes roughly 20 megs of RAM, everything. And now. Fantastic. Yeah. So
1: you have 20 megs of RAM, 10 millisecond native code compiled. Yeah. yeah. Of course, you know, we were targeting the developers back then. Yeah. And so the dynamic proxies meant as a developer, you didn't have to restart the system. Yeah. You know, and that was huge for developers yeah. back then. I mean, we were the only ones. Yeah. WebLogic didn't know how to do it. Yeah. IBM didn't know how to yeah. do it. That was Rickard's genius. Yeah. You know, he, he did the dynamic proxies. But it makes sense now that it's the cloud that, you know, the di- developers are, they're already there. And so we're going to optimize the runtime. And so, but the yeah, cool story is,
0: if your server starts, yeah, go on. If, if the server starts in 10 milliseconds, why to reconfigure it? I just shut it down and start a new one. This is the cool story, right? And what my observation yeah. from software perspective is, if you have a best practice as yours with Rick's dynamic proxies, and you do exactly the opposite, another best practice happens. It's Rickard, by the way. But go on, yeah. Rickard. So I'm sorry, say that again. Yeah. So Rickard. if you have a, a let's say a best practice like you did with dynamic proxies and whatever, right? And what the Quarkus right. team did exactly the opposite. What they did is one class loader, everything is static. Everything is optimized. Then you get exactly the same. You get another best practice which also works perfectly, but is the exactly opposite of yours. This is an interesting observation, I did.
1: Yes, yes, I think so. I think so too, and it makes sense in the context of you know it's now deployment runtime centric, yeah. the
0: cloud. Yeah, you know the developers
1: value add is in configuring all of that. I get that. It makes sense. You know? Yeah, this was again just- we were optimizing. No, what made JBoss back then was the fact that the developers loved us because yeah. we, they were very fast. And yeah. a lot of people were developing with JBoss and deploying on IBM, if you remember. Yeah, days, yellow, of course. On WebSphere, you yeah. Know? yeah, yeah. And it's interesting that, you know, it's the reverse now. Yeah. And so who's leading that? Is, it, uh, is uh, who Who's part of that team? The whole Red Hat.
0: The cool story is, I think there are around 100 Red Hat contributors. Uh, the team leaders, I think Emmanuel Bernard, Jason Green... Emmanuel, uh, 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 Jason Green, uh, Mark Little, uh, they are, everyone is working. Mark Little, sure, yeah, very cool, very
1: cool. Really cool. I'll go and add my name. There. This is this is Let's the that. this yeah. is
0: the this is the next way. So no, J-Boss started the first revolution. Now we have the second. The second, and it's also J-Boss. I love. Yeah, it, it is a, like, this sign is like
1: up. sign me up in the troop, the military. <laughs> yeah, back the, this to is play. like
0: inheritance was a little bit cross injection by virus or something like this, you know.
1: So why, why do you say inheritance is different in this framework? So the inter- inheritance is No, 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 no are... difference.
0: We said, you know, yeah. you, you told me in the nature, we have the inheritance, not always is true. You, virus can also change, you know, the genes. This is what you, what you told me 10 minutes ago.
1: Right. So the assembly of an operating yeah. system can be done through inheritance, yeah. right? Just like DNA is done through sexual yeah. inheritance, which is Mendelian inheritance. Yeah, and... But viruses, which is mean, they're vertical, right? Yeah. From top to down, passing of genes over generations, very slow. Whereas the horizontal uh, programming of nature is through viruses, yeah. RNA. Yeah. Uh, so the RNA are the aspects. Yeah. Okay. So, for example, in, in, in the water, the aspects of photosynthesis mm-hmm. uh, is passed in an RNA strand that a species can adopt. And mm-hmm. when it does, it is capable of phytoplankton, typically. Mm-hmm. Is an aspect-oriented programmed uh, energy transforming thing. So, uh, uh, and and so AOP was really is really also part of how nature programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all the viruses are aspects. You know,
0: um, no, yeah, yeah. What I said was inheritance. Was just made a little bit of fun because you know, uh, Jabos is the father and Quarkus is the child. You know. So this is what I said. It's like inheritance it's because because in Quarkus still uses the uh, JBoss libraries behind the scenes. Hibernate is there, uh-huh. and there is the the old HTTP server. So they are still the libraries, but they are list used differently. So I wanted to tell you this it's an interesting story.
1: That is an interesting story, and thank you for sharing because I had no idea. And I love the fact that they're the cool kids on the block again. Yeah, the boys are back in town. Exactly. That is great. Oh, yeah.
0: So. Oh. I don't want to, yeah, to steal your so time.
1: Is, uh, no, 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 it's fine. Uh, so Emmanuel Bernard is leading the team. Uh, is uh, is uh, Gavin King still there? Is he? No, involved? Gavin
0: King is not there. I would also try to invite him to podcast, but is not there.
1: I would love to listen to Gavin, yeah, see what but, he has uh, to say. Yeah. I have
0: a Jason Green, I have Mark Little on my podcast, Emmanuel Bernard was interviewed, so I can listen to the guys if you like and uh
1: yeah i would love to i'll probably do that send me a link please
0: yeah thank you i will publish the podcast yeah. with you next week probably so i will send you the link yeah if you would like to, that yeah. i put some links to your company just send me the links i will find you on the twitter i will put at least your twitter account and whatever links. yeah i put
1: the twitter account for two prime and two and it's good enough Thank you. And do send me links about the about the Quarkus project. I may want to pull a prank on them. Yeah, and these are cool. this is like cool. This would idea. be cool.
0: Okay. Yeah. Let, yeah, let's have some fun with it. Right? be discreet. Okay. Okay. Thank you was fun. And I could re-invite Thank you Adam. in one year whatever because it was really fun to talk with you. Uh, and uh, yeah, this was about software engineering and how 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 life goes. This is actually an interesting story, right? Sounds good.
2: Thank you. Bye. Bye.